I don't know how you can say that it was lawful. Senator, I did not say it was lawful. I said it was unlawful. You know, sometimes you got to speak to senators from Texas very slowly. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Just saying. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast at 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI News Radio, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, The Voice of Maui, In Columbus, Ohio, on the Green Renaissance Network, WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM, WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, on Public Reality Radio, WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for the thrilling roller coaster ride action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Uh, coming up, a whole bunch of stuff, actually, today. We'll see how much of it we can actually get through, uh, including some, some bits and pieces from yesterday's Sally Yates hearing in the U.S. Senate. Uh, we got some stories of Republicans behaving badly in Iowa and Wisconsin, uh, and uh, some elections and some voting news, both good and bad. And also, our own Desi Doyen will be here all day long, and especially with the Green News Report coming up <laughs> at uh, at uh, a little bit later. Yay! Yay for that. Uh, and, and yay indeed. Uh, a, uh, some, some decent news. Let's not say great <laughs> Let's not go or encouraging, or but some decent news. Uh, with this uh, this Macron victory in France, that's a victory for the environment, as you will be explaining. And uh, frankly, the environment could use a few victories these days, given the deadly flooding in the Midwest over the past week uh, or two and the uh, continuing wildfires across Florida now spreading into Georgia. Uh, also on the GNR today, more news on the EPA scrubbing climate change data from its website. So um, we will get to all of that and much, much more. Uh, but first, uh, could sanity be breaking out across the world? I know that's a crazy idea these days, uh, but could Donald Trump have scared the hell out of enough people uh, in, in the rest of the world, at least, that voters are now actually making sane decisions these days at the ballot box? Uh, we had the French election over the weekend which suggested as much good work, France. And uh, and now this South Korea elected Moon Jae in a human rights lawyer who favors dialogue with North Korea as their new president. 
on Tuesday. Uh, in what looks like to be a, a, a landslide, frankly, if the exit polls hold up, this returns the nation's liberals to power after nearly a decade in the political wilderness in South Korea and setting up a potential rift with the United States over the North Korean uh, nuclear weapons program. Moon's victory caps a remarkable national drama, says the New York Times, in which a corruption scandal, mass protests and impeachment forced the South Korean president from office for the first time in almost 60 years, leaving the conservative establishment in disarray and its former leader in jail. Moon, who is a 64-year-old son of North Korean refugees, faces the challenge of enacting changes to limit the power of big business and address the abuses uncovered in his predecessor's downfall while balancing relations with the U.S. and China and following through on his promise of a new approach to North Korea. Wow, that sounds like a big shift. A big shift, but could be a nice one. I think we could use a new approach uh, to North Korea, just saying. Moon's election also scrambles geopo uh, geopolitics over North Korea's nuclear arsenal, even as the Trump administration is urging the world to step up pressure on Pyongyang. It now faces the prospect of a critical ally, one with the, uh, with the most at stake in any conflict with the North breaking ranks and adopting a more conciliatory approach. So you've got South Korea itself now, perhaps we'll see, wanting to actually talk to and get along with North Korea. Uh, and that may ruin Donald Trump's plans to uh, to be a tough guy out there. We don't know. Uh, I can just imagine Trump already. Who knew international relations were so complicated? <laughs> We have to we have to balance all of these various interests from all of these different countries. Moon, we can't just tell them what to do. No, exactly. Turns well, he'll, we'll see. He may try. Uh, Moon has argued that Washington's reliance, although it would be hard. I mean, how could he tell the South Koreans, you know, who are on the front lines of what would happen if a war breaks out with North Korea? Oh, yeah. How can he tell them what they ought to what they ought to do here at this point? Yeah, you're the first target, but please do the things that I would like to do that make you that first target. Moon has argued that Washington's reliance on sanctions. And and pressure has been ineffective against the North and that it's time to give engagement and dialogue with the North another chance. That's an approach favored by China. Uh, he has also called for a review of the Pentagon's deployment of an anti-missile defense system in South Korea that the Chinese government has denounced. Moon's position on North Korea is a sharp departure from that of his two immediate predecessors, who were both conservatives who tended to view anything less than strict enforcement of sanctions against, against the North as ideologically suspect. The Times reports that while Moon condemned the, quote, ruthless dictatorial regime of North Korea during his campaign, he also argued that South Korea must embrace the North Korean people to achieve peaceful reunification one day. Uh, just, you know, sanity breaking out across the world. What, what, what next? David Straub, a former director of Korean affairs at the State Department uh, and a senior fellow at the Sejong Institute, a think tank near Seoul, South Korea, warned of, quote, serious policy differences between the U.S. and South Korean presidents over North Korea and related issues. He added that these differences could lead to, quote, significantly increased popular dissatisfaction with the United States 
in South Korea. Well, that makes total sense. I mean, if you're going to use your ideological constraints, as it sounds like the South Korean conservative establishment has done, saying, no, 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 we cannot make nice with North Korea. That's against our ideology. Clearly, that hasn't worked out. China, on the other hand, uh, unlike uh, the U.S. and Donald Trump, uh, China is likely to welcome Moon's election, which may make it easier uh, for it to deflect pressure from the U.S. to get tough on North Korea and strengthen its argument that Washington must addressed, address the North's concerns about security. Now, sending out a, 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 a fighter, not a fight, what do they call A fleet a warship. of warships, <laughs> yeah, uh, probably doesn't address the North's concerns about security. I'm sure that makes them uh, more interested in showing how tough they are. Well, the first thing you want to do when you're a country is when somebody bigger than you threatens you is to lay down your arms, right? Uh, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that the United States has been making very aggressive yeah. statements. And so, of course, the North Koreans oh, are I going see. to yes. respond to that rather than say, oh, you're oh, right. We're Let sorry. Me, yeah, we're sorry. Let's yeah. stop everything we're doing. The exactly. United States does not attack nuclear armed countries historically. So, uh, so. Well, that's right. They don't. And uh, so I can hardly blame them. Uh, some analysts uh, suggest Moon's victory would lower the temperature of the North Korean standoff. Well, that would be nice, prompting Washington and Pyongyang to pause and assess the effect of the new government in Seoul on their policies. Uh, of course, uh, satellite images still indicate that the North has been preparing for its sixth nuclear test. And the Trump administration has engaged in a heated campaign of implied threats and military posturing to stop it. Oh, don't worry, North Korea. He's he's a paper tiger. <laughs> well, he is so far, at least in I Congress, know. he has been. Uh, this uh, this missile defense system, this American missile defense system known as the uh, THAAD or Terminal High Altitude Area Defense uh, this is going to be another issue for Moon. It went into operation. This missile system went into operation last week in South Korea. It was installed by uh, the Americans there. Moon has complained that its deployment was rushed to present him with a fait accompli before he got into office. Uh, but if he tries to undo it, of course, that could strain the alliance with Washington, uh, leaving the impression of bowing to Chinese pressure. And that could be politically fatal in South Korea, where the public across the political spectrum is wary of the country appearing too deferential to big powers, be they the U.S. or China. Uh, m many South Koreans had complained about uh, the uh, the THAAD missile system that the U.S. had foisted on them. And while, uh, while he has said South Korea must learn to say no to Washington, D.C., Moon has emphasized that any diplomatic overture towards North Korea will be grounded in the South's alliance with the U.S. So he's still unwilling to work with the U.S. He's not yeah. throwing them away. Uh, but he has also often, ex uh, often expressed gratitude to the U.S. for protecting the South from communism and supporting its transformation into a prosperous democracy. Moon's parents left, uh, fled, I should say, communist uh, rule in, um, in Korea, in North Korea, during the Korean War, and were among tens of thousands who were evacuated from the North Korean port of Hongman um, by retreating American Navy vessels in the winter of 1950. So he has experience with the North. Yes. Uh, he fled the North. And we'll just see how uh, Donald Trump turns around and says something awful about him soon, <laughs> uh, no doubt. But in any case, uh, some uh, so t uh, two uh, two elections around the world in the last couple of days suggesting 
sanity may be breaking out. Um, but uh, speaking of the, uh, the the Trump administration, oh, and of scrubbing websites, since we've got that coming up in the GNR, uh, now they're apparently scrubbing their own campaign website. Yes, their own site, their own statements. Uh, just uh, after ABC News' Cecilia Vega on Monday asked the White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer about Donald Trump's campaign proposal of a ban on Muslim people traveling to the U.S., Many people went looking for that statement on Trump's campaign website, but it was no longer there. It appears that that statement from Donald Trump during the campaign about banning Muslims, uh, as well as the entire statements uh, section on the website and the entire announcements section and the entire endorsements section and the ads section, all of that has now been scrubbed from Donald Trump's campaign site. Wow. Vega uh, at ABC noted uh, noted the change and several other uh, reporters tweeted about it as well. Uh, it's not clear why the posts were deleted uh, or if they were deleted en masse or if it was done intentionally. But the statement was uh, brought up during that press briefing on Monday because uh, despite the statement's call for, quote, a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives figure out what is going on. The Trump administration is now uh, denying that. Uh, that's the, Now they're pretending that's not what they wanted. That's not <laughs> what they believe. And in federal court, there was a hearing on this yesterday. Uh, as the Sally Yates hearing in the U.S. Senate was also going on, you had these two different hearings, the one in the federal court, the one in the U.S. Senate. Um, in any event, uh, Trump is now denying that the executive order banning travel from several predominantly Muslim nations that that is the Muslim ban he had referred to so many times while on the campaign trail. Spicer said uh, during the briefing on Monday that the administration's stance has been the same since day one and that it is a ban on nations, not on religion. Of course, uh, Trump's revised executive order, which would, in fact, temporarily ban travel from six Muslim-majority countries, uh, is currently being argued in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals which had uh, blocked this originally, blocked uh, both the uh, first and second travel ban. Uh, and so Trump's campaign statement became a major talking point during those hearings yesterday. While the government was busy arguing uh, yesterday that the executive order was not, in fact, a Muslim ban, the federal judges hearing the case apparently kept referring to that statement that was still up on the Trump website. Uh, until it was apparently removed at some point uh, yesterday, late yesterday, apparently, uh, for some odd reason. Wonder why? Gosh. Wonder Good. why it took them so long, frankly, to get rid of it. <laughs> to figure that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it keeps coming up in all of these uh, hearings over his, over his travel ban. Speaking of that travel ban, which has, uh, as I noted, so far been found by several courts to be in violation of the law and or the U.S. Constitution. And speaking of that hearing yesterday in the U.S. Senate uh, with Sally Yates, now it was ostensibly about former Michael Flynn, uh, former uh, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's alleged lie to the White House and the vice president concerning his conversations with the Russian ambassador to the U.S., and the still open question as to why, even after then acting Attorney General Sally Yates had warned the Trump administration that Fl uh, Flynn had lied to them 
and thus opened himself up to compromise and blackmail. The the still open question is, uh, you know, why the Trump administration appears to have done nothing even after that uh, warning that Yates detailed yesterday, that very serious warning that she gave the White House right after the inauguration. They ignored it for about three weeks. They didn't fire Flynn. Uh, and likely it seems as if they would not have ever fired Flynn had not the information about Yates's warning about Flynn's uh, uh, potential to be compromised had that not been leaked out via The Washington Post. Only then did they fire Flynn once it, you know, they became too embarrassed. They had no choice, I guess, but to fire Flynn. But they had fired Yates, so that was 18 days later. But they had fired Yates just about two or three days, I think it was, after she had warned the administration about Flynn. Now, it wasn't right at that warning. It was when she announced that she could not defend Trump's executive order travel ban against those seven majority Muslim countries because she was not convinced that the order was lawful or constitutional. Republicans... At the Senate hearing, they were much more interested in talking about that rather than Michael Flynn and trying to figure out uh, how, uh, you know, who who it was who leaked the news of Flynn's potential for being compromised. So during all of this, one of the Republican senators who, who pressed Yates about her decision to not enforce what she believed uh, to be an unlawful order by the president uh, one of those senators was Senator John Cornyn of Desi Doyen's home state of Texas. Cornyn. Oh, yeah. Cornyn. I always call him Cornyn. <laughs> I know. You'll keep correcting me. Yes. <laughs> uh, Yates, uh, who is a 27-year a, a career professional at the Department of Justice, or at least she was until she was fired. She served under five different presidential administrations. Well, she essentially cleaned the uh, hypocritic Cornyn's clock uh, in this uh, in this exchange uh, at least in my opinion. We'll see what you think. Uh, here is uh, Sally Yates responding to uh, Cornyn when it came to the uh, question of that uh, of her decision to not enforce the Muslim travel ban. Well, Ms. Yates, you had a distinguished career for 27 years at the Department yeah. of Justice, and I, uh, I voted for your confirmation because I believe that you had a distinguished career. But I have to tell you that I find it enormously disappointing that you somehow vetoed the decision of the Office of Legal Counsel with regard to the lawfulness of the president's order and decided instead that you would countermand the executive order of the president of the United States because you happen to disagree with it as a policy matter. Well, it wasn't. To, uh, I just have to say that. I, I, I appreciate that, Senator. And let me make one thing clear. It was not purely as a policy matter. And in, in fact, I remember my confirmation hearing. Um, in an exchange that I had with you and, and others of your colleagues where you specifically asked me in, in that hearing that if the president asked me to do something that was unlawful or unconstitutional, and one of your colleagues said, or even just that would reflect poorly on the Department of Justice, would I say no? And I looked at this, I made a determination that I believed that it was unlawful. I also thought that it was inconsistent with the principles of the Department of Justice. And I said no. And that's what I promised you I would do. Oh. And that's what I did. I don't know how you can say that it was lawful and say that it was within your prerogative to refuse to defend no. it in a court of law and leave it for the court to decide. Senator, I did not say it was lawful. I said uh, it was unlawful. Oh, snap. Yep. Indeed. Snap, slap, bang. 
uh, boom goes the dynamite, whatever you want to say. Uh, remember, you, we have all of these uh, all of these Republican senators who used to uh, ask these people during their confirmation hearings, would they be independent? W- exactly. Of the president. Back when they thought the next president was going to be a Democrat. Right. And here you have this woman who was independent, who did see something that she thought to be unlawful or, as it turns out, unconstitutional. She said, no, I can't defend that. Uh, And uh, apparently John Cornyn forgot that he had asked her that. But Sally Yates did not. What? A Republican senator being a hypocrite? Uh, just kind of amazing. Uh, but he wasn't the only one uh, who uh, this the the great genius Ted Cruz, the other Texas U.S. senator. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, I, I don't forgive you. Um, <laughs> he didn't do much better with Sally Yates in, in this exchange in which uh, in, in which Cruz tried to outlawyer her. Not a smart move. You know, everybody says Ted Cruz <laughs> is so smart. He's the smartest guy. He's being considered to you know, be named to the Supreme Court by Donald Trump. Uh, well, here Cruz tried to outlawyer her on the Immigration and Nationality Act. That is, uh, in fact, what he is using to say that she should have allowed the president's executive order to go through. It also did not go well for Senator Ted Cruz. By the express text of the statute, it says, quote, Whenever the president finds that the entry of any alien or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate. Would you agree that that is broad statutory authorization? I would, and I am familiar with that, and I'm also familiar with an additional provision of the INA that says, no person shall receive preference or be discriminated against in issuance of a visa because of race, nationality, or place of birth. (laughs) That, I believe, was promulgated after the statute that you just quoted. And that's been part of the discussion with the courts with respect to the INA, is whether this more specific statute trumps the first one that you just described. But my concern was not an (laughs) INA concern here. It rather was a constitutional concern, whether or not this Um, The executive order here violated the Constitution, specifically with the Establishment Clause and equal protection and due process. Oh, snap. (laughs) She did it again. And I love how she threw it, whether it trumps the provision you cited, because it was actually it came later. And now I'm no lawyer. I'm no Sally Yates. I'm not even a Ted Cruz when it comes to the law. Thank God. But my understanding is that uh, a a provision or law that was passed later supersedes a uh, a provision or a law that was passed earlier. So the one about uh, shall not deny anybody a visa based on religion or nationality. Boom, again goes the dynamite. And, you know, Ted Cruz probably knows that. He was assuming that she didn't know that, and I love the fact that she interrupted him interrupting her. (laughs) But I think the worst caught-on-tape interview of Monday, I think, uh, at least the one uh, most likely to have uh, the worst direct effect, at least, on the Republican caught-on-tape in this uh, this particular interview, had to be this amazing interview with with Congressman Rod Blum of Iowa's 1st Congressional District. This was on Cedar Rapids' ABC affiliate KCRG-TV9. 
Now, as you know, uh, as you may know, Congress passed their Obamacare replacement bill last week, and then they immediately skipped town for another 11-day recess, which means that members are now back in their home districts, and some, some are doing town halls and catching an earful from, from constituents about their vote for that bill that the uh, nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office found was likely to result in some 24 million Americans losing their health coverage over the next 10 years. So many of the uh, Republicans are catching hell from their constituents, frankly, and most are not even holding town halls at all. And in the case of Congressman Blum here, uh, he is now apparently requiring anybody who shows up at one of his town halls to show an I.D., in order to prove that they live in his district. That issue came up during this really, what turned out to be a really, really short interview on KCRG with reporter Josh Scheinblum, uh, who asked a couple of very reasonable, very fair, not very difficult at all questions in a sit-down interview with the congressman who had insisted apparently that about a dozen kids from a local community center uh, for kids, uh, for at-risk uh, kids, that they that they be there. They were mostly African American kids. They were about ten years old or so. Uh, and it's one thing, you know, it, when these you know these officials uh, are speaking and they like to have people behind them. In this case, it was a one-on-one interview, so it was really odd that you had these kids. Well, that the congressman insisted on having the kids standing right. behind him, according to the news station. So that was already kind of weird, but uh, but. Uh, the rest of this did not go well either. Here's here's the whole thing. Here's how it went. Congressman, I'm sure you know the drill. So today, you're having your first town hall meeting since January. What are you expecting? Well, a discussion of the issues is like typical. I'm not expecting, I guess, anything one way or the other. We've held uh, tele-town hall meetings extensively over the last two years where we'll have 6,000 people on the line. And uh, so today we'll reach 600 people Teleton halls would reach 6,000 people. Uh, so uh, it would be a typical town hall. There'd be lots of questions and uh, uh, lots of answers. So, one thing that's a little less typical is you want to see IDs for this. Can I ask why that decision was made? Because we want people from the first district to be at our town halls. We don't want people from outside of the first district. We don't need people from Chicago there or Des Moines there or, or Minneapolis there. Um, I don't represent them. They should go talk to their representatives at their town hall meetings. I don't know why they would want to be at one of my town hall meetings to start with. Well, I think some would make the case that you represent all Iowans. The decisions that you make impact all Iowans. So shouldn't all Iowans have a voice at the table or at least have the option to? <laughs> I don't represent all Iowans. I represent my, the first district of Iowa. That'd be, that'd be like saying, uh, shouldn't I be able to, even though I live in Dubuque, go vote in Iowa City during the election because... I'd like to vote in that district instead. Would you still take donations from a Republican in Iowa City? I mean, <laughs> I'm, 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 we haven't even, we just it started. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. We, 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 he's going to sit here and just, just all badger right, me. All right. we, 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 we just badger. asked why you wanted to do the interview. That was, that was it. He's taking off his microphone. Congressman, you don't, come on. Take, take a seat. Congressman, I, I insist. Let's. Let's talk about. <laughs> Come on, Congressman. Let's let's talk about the issues here. Congressman Blum plans to hold three more town hall events this week. Tomorrow night he'll be at Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids. On Wednesday he'll be at the Cedar Falls High School, and on Thursday he'll hold a town hall at Marshalltown Community College. 
Blumstaff says the events are only for people who live in the 1st Congressional District. They will check IDs at the door. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> that was stormed out outrageous uh, Well, that's badgering. a reasonable question. If you're not going to let in people from other districts, are you going to take campaign donations from people outside of your district? Seems like a reasonable question. Uh, a very reasonable question uh, from uh, Josh Scheinblum, the uh, KCRG TV9's chief investigative reporter. Reasonable question, politely asked. But this uh, congressman, uh, Blum, Rod, Rod, is it? Uh, Rod. Rod, Rod Blum, uh, couldn't even respond to that. Uh, Scheinblum was, uh, responded to uh, TPM, which had uh, helped this thing go viral yesterday or last night, uh, said that's not something that happens at public meetings, referring to the, insistent on, the insistence on checking ID at the door to ensure only residents of his district were allowed inside. Uh, Scheinblum uh, said, so I thought, listen, if this is something new that you've decided to do, the floor is yours. Could you please explain why this decision was made? And I think the follow up about taking money from outside the district, he said, I think that's a fair question. If you would listen to someone, I guess, who donated uh, from your same party from outside the district, why are they being barred from coming into one of your uh, meetings? That's a perfectly, totally fair, totally smart question. And uh, terribly embarrassing that uh, Congressman Blum was not able to answer. By the way, that might solve many of our campaign finance problems. It's always seemed uh, totally reasonable to me that if you can't vote for the candidate in question, then you shouldn't be able to donate to them. If they're not on your ballot, you shouldn't be able to donate to them, period. You know, when we have these fights about campaign finance, oh, it's free speech for this, that, that seems a reasonable restriction. I don't know if I'm the only one who's uh, come up with that idea, but that seems, you know, therefore, hey, if you're Walmart, Walmart doesn't get to vote, doesn't get a vote for a senator, so they don't get to donate. I'm pulling Walmart here, but, uh, you know, it could be any of the Koch brothers, whatever the Koch brothers, they can donate to their congressmen, to their senators, to their president, uh, presidential candidate. Uh, but that's it. They can't put hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into everyone else's uh, everyone else's races. Uh, anyway, that's a sidebar. Um, another uh, detail is that apparently uh, Blum had not told KCRG ahead of time that he was going to insist on being flanked by those children. So that was kind of weird uh, if you look at it. Blum also got, uh, well, an earful apparently from constituents at a town hall yesterday in Dubuque. And Josh Marshall points out that uh, Blum is actually, he's not a safe Republican who voted for Trump care. He did vote for Trump care, but he's not in a safe district. He got, uh, let's see, he won just 51-49 over his Democratic uh, opponent in, the, uh, 20, in 2014 in the first congressional district in Iowa. That was his first race. And then he won re-election last November with 54 percent of the vote. The Cook Political Port Report actually rates it uh, a slightly Democratic district. So this is a swing district where uh, Bloom is uh, Blum, I should say, is, is holding on uh, basically uh, by just a point or two. It looks totally beatable. So Josh Marshall asks who's going to run against him. Speaking of who's going to run against him and whether voters in Iowa, which uh, we noted yesterday, just enacted a new photo ID restriction on Friday, despite any evidence of any voter fraud that might have been prevented by such a law. Well, we've got some news today about how Republican photo ID restrictions in Wisconsin 
one of Trump's key states last November, appear to have suppressed some 200,000 votes in Wisconsin, in a state that uh, Trump is said to have won by just about 22,000 votes. That story and more election and voting news, even some good news, is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. This is your FBI. Well, holy magoli. Some big breaking news here. Literally, as uh, I just signed off the last segment. Um, Holy cow. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The White House has said that uh, the FBI director, James Comey, has been fired. Wow. Uh, and I'm looking at uh, CNN, New York Times, AP. Nobody really has detail. CNN at the moment has the most. Um, Sean Spicer said, quote, the president has accepted the recommendation of the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, and the deputy attorney general regarding the dismissal of the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Sean Spicer said. Wow. Wow. What is that about? Yowza, a thousand times over. All we know is, um, we well, we know nothing at this point. This is just breaking news. Uh, about 45 minutes ago, the, uh, the FBI did send a letter to Congress apologizing for a statement that Comey made, yes, uh, I guess it was last week. Right. Um, in his Senate testimony. In, during his Senate testimony. Right. Um, and where he had said that uh, there were hundreds and thousands of emails from Huma Abedin, Hillary Clinton's top uh, top aide, that were found on her uh, husband on Anthony Weiner, her husband's uh, uh, computer last year, and that's what led to his announcement about a week or so before the election, and so on and so forth. In fact, it was not hundreds and thousands. It was just a small handful were found on uh, on the computer. However, that hardly seems a firing offense, at least to me. So there's a lot more here. And uh, at this point, we know nothing. But I suspect we will by this time tomorrow. I suspect this story is going wall to wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, holy cow. That's big news. Donald Trump has fired FBI Director James Comey. OK, then. Uh, well, in the meantime, uh, here's what we do know, uh, what we had planned to talk about. Uh, voter suppression, it works. Uh, since, uh, since 2006, states across the country have implemented strict photo ID laws. We've talked about it constantly since 2006 and many years prior, to be frank. Glad that everyone else is starting to finally notice it. Uh, But uh, so many of these states, many of these Republican controlled states have put in place these photo ID laws requiring photo ID at the polling places. Sean McElwee at Demos today points out that extensive research has suggested these laws are motivated by racism and partisanship. But many commentators, even at some liberal leaning outlets, have dismissed the impacts of these laws despite the clear evidence 
that they have a disproportionate impact on young people, people of color and low income people. And now we have actual evidence, an actual study, a new memo from Priorities USA and Civis Analytics provides evidence that voter ID laws successfully disenfranchised voters in 2016. And uh, if we can believe these numbers, it disenfranchised a lot of them and in some key states. Um, the uh, Civis and Priorities performed a simple analysis of how uh, how turnout changed in states that adopted photo ID laws between the two different uh, between the president last two presidential elections in 2012 and 2016. And as they found, states that adopted strict uh, strict ID laws, for example, in Mississippi and Virginia and Wisconsin, they saw their turnout drop, while states that did not institute strict uh, photo ID laws saw an increase in turnout. This also aligns, by the way, with a similar GAO analysis of uh, photo ID laws that came out uh, last year, I think it was. In this case, uh, if there was no change to the law, uh, the turnout increased 1.3 percent between 2012 and 2016. Um, if there was a, a change uh, to a non-strict law, in other words, a, a photo ID law that uh, you had to show your photo ID, but if you didn't have one, you could vote anyway by signing a affidavit and so forth. Um, the, the turnout increased, still increased, but only by 0.7 percent. So making a photo ID more strict decreased just not as much. Well, uh, this you had no ch- if there was no change in the law. Turnout went up 1.3 percent. If there was a change to a non-strict law, it went up uh, 0.7 percent. So it still went up. But if there was a change from no law to a very strict law, then turnout fell 1.7 percent. Wow. That's significant. Of course it's significant. Especially in these days of very close races. Uh, Civis and Priorities, the study also find that uh, find that the uh, these laws disproportionately harmed black voters. Uh, they uh, b- examined how black turnout changed at the county level between 2012 and 2016. Turnout in counties with a high black population share dropped by 2.2 points in states where ID laws did not change. But compared to a, 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 a where strict ID was implemented, turnout in these black communities dropped five points. So it essentially doubled. It more than doubled. Now, we expected there was obviously going to be a, a, a drop in turnout in the black population without Barack Obama on the ballot. Uh, So the fact that they went down is not a huge surprise, but the fact that it went down twice as much in these areas is now uh, has now been quantified, at least in this uh, in this study. And then finally, Civis and Priorities also compared turnout changes. And this was interesting in counties in Wisconsin, which did pass a strict photo ID law even though several courts found it to be unconstitutional and unlawful, a uh, very conservative decision by uh, by the appellate court up there allowed this law to stand anyway. Not just a conservative decision, but an inaccurate decision. Go to bradblog.com and see my rant uh, against Judge Easterbrook and his claim that you need an ID to board an airplane, so why not to vote, which is totally untrue. You don't need an ID to board an airplane. They'll ask you for one, but if you don't have one, 
They'll still get you on. They're not going to turn away 30 million American customers who don't have photo IDs. In any event, so they compared the turnout changes in Wisconsin, which passed the strict ID law, and Minnesota, right next door, which did not pass a strict photo ID law, and they have similar demographics to, uh, to Wisconsin. So they compared it by percentage of African-Americans in the county. They went county to county and turnout they found in highly black counties declined dramatically more in Wisconsin than it did in Minnesota. They estimate that the turnout decline uh, was attributable to the photo ID law in Wisconsin, and it was enough to swing the state from Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump. Uh, in fact, uh, Ari Berman d- over at The Nation digs down into the details more and finds out that uh, finds that. Well, here's how he put it. According to federal court records, 300,000 registered voters. That's nine percent of the electorate in Wisconsin lacked the strict forms of I.D. now needed to vote there. According to this new study, uh, strict photo ID laws in Wisconsin and other states led to a significant reduction in turnout in 2016 with a disproportionate impact on African-American and Democratic-leaning voters, and Wisconsin's photo ID law reduced turnout by some 200,000 votes, according to the new analysis in the state that Donald Trump is said to have won by just 22,700 votes. Let's talk about those numbers again. (laughs) Yeah, feel free. 200,000 voters. Now, you, and they got this uh, by so, you know so comparing it to next door, uh, comparing it to uh, Minnesota. Minnesota next door. Very similar demographics. Uh, one has this strict law. One does not. And in, in running the math there, they found that there would have been some 200,000 more voters in Wisconsin uh, had this uh, ID law not been put in place in a state that Trump won by just over 22,000. The study uh, says that while states with no change to photo, uh, voter identification laws witnessed an average increased turnout of 1.3 percent uh, between the two presidential elections, Wisconsin's turnout, where the ID law had changed, had dropped 3.3 percent. So on an average... It went up, you know, where there was no change in that law. It went up 1.3 percent, but it dropped by 3.3 percent in Wisconsin. Thanks clearly in no small part to that photo ID voting restriction. And that's exactly why Republicans are implementing those laws. It works. And now we've got some empirical evidence to demonstrate how that works, how that strategy works. The, the drop in uh, in turnout in um, in the six states uh, led to uh, the six states where they put in these new photo ID laws, these strict photo ID laws led to some 400,000 fewer voters relative to turnout in states where ID laws did not change. This is across the country. Actually, this is in those six states, Miss, uh, Mississippi, Virginia and Wisconsin, where you had strict photo ID laws, um, which had a especially pronounced negative impact on African-American voters. Uh, That and Alabama, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island. 400,000 voters were suppressed. Uh, Good job. Now, it should be noted, by the way, that this is a Democratic Party-affiliated group who put out this study. The study has not yet been peer-reviewed or gone through uh, the regular academic vetting process, so perhaps we'll see some... uh, 
some other information that uh, that counters this. But for now, that's what we got. That's why these folks are putting these laws in place. That's why Iowa is doing it. That's why Texas has been trying to. Uh, all right. But before we get to a break here, uh, some some good news, some encouraging voting news, some encouraging bipartisan uh, legislation, believe it or not. Senate lawmakers once again in Illinois have advanced bipartisan legislation that could automatically register many Illinoisians to vote. This is a victory for now for uh, people who had supported a similar effort last year that was vetoed by the Republican governor, Bruce Rauner. Both Democrats and Republicans had voted for this revamped proposal after sponsoring uh, after the uh, the state senator who sponsored it, Andy Manor of uh, a Democrat from Bunker Hill, incorporated changes that were pushed by Rauner when he vetoed a similar bill last year. The Chicago Tribune calls it a rare attempt at compromise in a state house that has been marked by years of dysfunction and partisan bickering. Manor said uh, this is without question going to lead to more people, more citizens of our state, regardless of where they live, regardless of party affiliation, participating in our electoral process. And he said, regardless who wins an election, we all win as citizens of the state of Illinois. Good for them. Good for the Democrats and the Republicans at least in the state Senate, uh, it now goes to the House, but at least in the state Senate in Illinois. Governor Rauner's office uh, has not yet fully committed to this new version, however. Mm, he, he vetoed the last one and he explained why, and now they're trying to answer to his concerns in this bill. They're essentially calling his bluff, I think, is what they're doing here. They can't, the, the governor's office claims they continue to work with people to address the remaining concerns with the legislation that passed last year, they hope that, that those concerns will be addressed as the bill moves to the House. Under the measure, Illinois residents seeking a new or renewed driver's license or state ID would be automatically registered to vote unless they opt out. Backers uh, contend the bill will save money, it will streamline the registration process, it will boost turnout. The changes are aimed at uh, winning Rauner's approval. And they include the uh, the ability for people to opt out if they don't wish to uh, to register at the time that they're getting their driver's license. And the latest proposal also adds the Illinois Department of Natural Resources and the Illinois Department Department of Financial and Professional Regulation to the list of agencies that could register voters. So now the bill may be even better, may register even more voters. Good for Democrats, good for Republicans in the state of Illinois. We'll see if the Republican governor there vetoes it this time around if this bill makes it out of the House. We will be watching, Governor. Quick break, and we're back with Green News Report and more if we can uh, figure it out on this uh, breaking news of <laughs> FBI Director James Comey being fired by Donald Trump. Good Lord. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. 
Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. We will be melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report momentarily, but this uh, more now on this uh, breaking news, rather extraordinary breaking news. It seems to me yeah. that uh, well, welcome back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. Um, that uh, Donald Trump has fired the FBI director James Comey. Uh, th- this is just uh, kind of amazing. We still don't know very much, but it looks like NBC now has a bit more. Uh, saying that um, this happens, as I noted, uh, on the same day that the FBI confirmed that Comey had incorrectly testified to Congress about Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server, but that hardly seems a firing offense. Um, It's been confirmed that Trump was acting on, let's see, Sean Spicer says, the uh, clear recommendations of both Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. This is uh, Spicer said in a statement and said the new FBI director, the search for the new FBI director will begin, quote, immediately. The FBI, uh, the statement quotes Trump as saying the FBI is one of our nation's most cherished and respected institutions and today will mark a new beginning for our crown jewel of law enforcement. Uh, the, uh, apparently they sent a letter to Comey, which reads in part, while I greatly, this is from Trump, while I greatly appreciate you informing on three separate occasions that I am not under investigation, I nevertheless concur with the judgment of the DOJ that you are not able to effectively lead the Bureau. It is essential that we find new leadership for the FBI that restores public trust and confidence in its vital law enforcement mission. That's about all that we know. Now, of course, Democrats were not happy with uh, with Jim Comey after what he did last year, coming out a week or so before the election and announcing the reopening of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's uh, private email server. And then just a few days later saying, yeah, we looked at the emails, those new emails we found. They weren't new at all. We've seen them before. There's nothing there. We're still not charging her criminally. And uh, statistics folks like uh, Nate Silver over at 538.com has cited that moment as the moment when Hillary Clinton's polls, uh, her poll numbers dropped. She was set to win the election, win, in fact, the Electoral College until Jim Comey's uh, statement about reopening that investigation. Um, And then the numbers fell. Nate Silver has cited that. Hillary Clinton has cited that. A lot of Democrats were absolutely furious with Jim Comey, who they had previously seen as a hero for standing up to um, to uh, George W. Bush's uh, administration. So he had served. He was actually appointed by Republicans. He had served under Republicans and Democrats alike. James Comey, director of the FBI, has now been fired 
by Donald Trump. What does all of that mean? I don't know. But I suspect a lot of people will be talking about it uh, for the next uh, many hours and days. All right. uh, We got to get to it, I suppose. Uh, Desi Doyen. Yes. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Please come to France. We want people working on climate change. France votes for climate action in presidential election. This is by far the worst we've seen on this fire. Wildfires force evacuations in Florida and Georgia. Really an ongoing process here with all this flooding that's going on. Extreme storms and flooding kill 13 in the Midwest. Time is running out to speak up for EPA regulations you'd like to keep. Plus, if 97% of all dentists told you a tooth couldn't be saved, you'd pull that tooth. Conservative group trolls Trump on climate change denial. All of that trolling and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This is a message for American researchers, entrepreneurs, and diners working on climate change. What did he say? <laughs> I think he said enginers. I think he, he Engineers? I think he means engineers. Oh, you think that's funny, don't you? <laughs> I do. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I think you're leading again today with the effects of climate change that we are seeing in this country. Uh, well, in the Midwest and down to the southeast and just about everywhere else right now. Yeah, pretty much. Floodwaters are beginning to recede across six Midwestern states after a slow-moving storm system dumped record and near-record amounts of rain from Illinois to Arkansas, triggering deadly flash floods that killed six people in Missouri and seven in Arkansas over the weekend. That's in addition to 20 people who were killed the weekend before in floods that breached seven levees on the Mississippi River. On Saturday, Day, nearly 10 million people were under flood warnings with more storms forecast on the way. Gosh, I wonder if nearly 30 people were killed by terrorists over the past two weeks in the U.S. if we would do anything about it. It's the opposite problem in the bone-dry southeastern U.S. On Monday, schools were closed and residents forced to evacuate in advance of a massive wildfire in the Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge on the border between Florida and Georgia. Where? Okefenokee. Okie dokie. Whipped up by hot, dry, windy conditions, hundreds of firefighters are battling the lightning-sparked wildfire. It's been burning for more than a month and has scorched more than 150 square miles. Once again, if terrorists had forced the evacuation of hundreds or thousands or burned thousands of acres, I wonder if we would do anything about it. In politics, while President Trump decides whether the U.S. will remain in the historic Paris Climate Agreement, over in France, voters on Sunday made their choice by overwhelmingly electing Emmanuel Macron as the next president of France. Macron says implementing the Paris Agreement is a top priority for his administration. He's pledged to accelerate policies cutting France's carbon emissions and will double France's wind and solar energy capacity by 2020. During the campaign, Macron also made this pitch to embattled U.S. scientists. Please, come to France. You are welcome. It's your nation. We like innovation. We want innovative people. We want people working on climate change, energy, renewables, 
and new technologies. Wow, that's kind of snarky, telling uh, U.S. scientists and engineers to, to come to France. Mm. We believe in climate change? Yep. Well, I guess it worked. Meanwhile, Trump's Environmental Protection Agency is moving quickly to prevent the public from accessing federal climate science. Just days after deleting climate change from its website, the EPA, late on Friday, deleted its educational climate change website for children. In response, the city of Chicago has launched a mirror climate change website, rebuilding the EPA's deleted data. And that was data that went back about 20 years, as I understand it. Just removed it. Teachers have been relying on that information, relying on those links. Now they're gone. But I guess they're in Chicago. Yes. Trump's EPA also over the weekend dismissed half of the scientists on its key scientific advisory panel. The EPA declined to review the terms of nine scientists on the board of scientific counselors, which makes recommendations underpinning the agency's policies. Administrator Scott Pruitt reportedly seeks to change the makeup of the board and may potentially replace those scientists with representatives from polluting industries. Because, of course, he will. The window is closing to tell the Trump administration which clean air and clean water regulations you'd like to keep. In response to an executive order from President Trump to scrap those regulations, the EPA has opened an official public comment period seeking your input on regulations that could be appropriate for repeal. Comments are being taken online at regulations.gov until Monday, May 15th. Finally, a conservative climate advocacy group is trolling Trump on his climate change denial. The Partnership for Responsible Growth has launched a new ad campaign to help educate Trump on the scientific consensus on climate change. It's airing just in Washington, D.C. during shows that Trump is known to watch. And if 97% of all airline workers told you not to get on a plane, you wouldn't. So when 97% of the world's climate science experts tell you our planet is warming and we're responsible, why would you ignore them? You say that's being run by a conservative group? That's what they call themselves. Wow. Good for them. We'll see if it works. I'm sure it won't. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. Thank you, Desi Doyen. Yeah. Uh, more on Comey here as we uh, almost out of time. But uh, you are hereby terminated and immediately removed from office effective immediately, Trump told Comey in this personally signed letter that has now been obtained by NBC. This is based on the recommendations of the deputy attorney general and the attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Uh, who said that uh, apparently Comey's dismissal had been in the works for some time, and they are citing his handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigations, saying that James Comey was wrong to have announced last July that the department was closing the investigation Mm. of Hillary Clinton and her emails. So it sounds like they're still going after Hillary Clinton. Uh, And despite the fact that that announcement and his handling of that investigation arguably helped Donald Trump become president of the United States. Never a dull day around here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, 
I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, good Lord, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.